Okay, so um, let's start. It's a very great pleasure today to welcome Colette Soler to the Freud Museum. And it's a very special occasion for us, not only to have Colette as a guest at the museum, but also to celebrate and launch the English translation of Colette's book, Lacan, L'Inconscient Réinventé, which is just is hot off the press. Lacan, the Unconscious Reinvented, and I think some of you will already have read the book and studied it. It came out about five years ago, 2009, in Paris. And it's an important book at many different levels. Psychonetic theory, the practice of psychoanalysis, rethinking the unconscious, and perhaps most importantly for an English language audience, it takes us beyond the many cliches that we hear about Lacan's theory of the unconscious and what Lacanian psychoanalysis is about. It really opens up some new questions about what Lacan's trajectory was, what the moments of change were and what motivated them, and what the consequences might be for practice today, and what could we make of the situation of psychoanalysis in the 21st century, at the time of neoliberal societies, what place for the analyst and what place for psychoanalysis. And I think that the all themes that will come up in the discussion today. For those of you who don't know Colette already, Colette is one of the, the most famous and important Lacanian psychoanalysts practicing today, formed by Jacques Lacan. She was a founder member of the École de Psychanalyse des Forums du Champ Lacanien, which is one of the main psychoanalytic organizations, not only in France, but also throughout the world, working on Lacanian psychoanalysis and the training of analysts. Colette has published many articles and books, and there are several which are already available in English. There's What Lacan Said About Women, which I think many of you will have read and admired already, published by the other press. There's a book which is coming out very soon with Routledge, translated by Bruce Fink, called Lacanian Affects, which will it challenges the, the common view that Lacan didn't have any theory of affects, emotions, and feelings. And also a couple of other books which are available um, through the Lacanian networks here, a book about trauma, and a book about hysteria and obsession, which you mentioned the other page, we have to still have to get here. Um, and we'll start today, Colette will do a brief presentation of the main themes of the book. Then we're going to have a dialogue and time for questions. And then our colleagues, Daphne and Nestor Tamarin, will comment on, speak about some of the themes in the book around the, the title, A Love That Knows. And then there'll be plenty of time for discussion. There'll be a tea break at some point in the middle of that. So uh, let's welcome Colette and hear her presentation. Okay. Bon. With my bad English, <laughs> I will try to say something. Uh, first of all, I, uh, I want to say that I'm very happy to be here today. <laughs> and uh, I want to thank all the colleagues uh, who, who have contributed to the event. 
first the Freudian Museum, obviously, the publisher, Carnap, the colleagues of CIFAR, and specifically my dear friend Darian, <laughs> who make it possible, I think. I want also mention my two Australian colleagues who decided to translate the book. <laughs> and I'm very grateful for them. Uh, Susanna Schwartz, uh, Esther Fay, and also uh, Leonardo Rodriguez, who is well-known in CIFAR, I think, eh? uh, and uh, who accepted to make the last reading of the book. So, uh, I will first say something about uh, the origin of the book. It was uh, in uh, 2001 when uh, les autres écrits of Lacan were published in France. And at this moment, I discovered for the first time a text who was unknown in France, completely, <laughs> because it was not published. Uh, the text called The Preface to the, the English Publication of the Seminar 11. And uh, when I uh, read it, I had a moment of why, what I can call an insight. <laughs> a moment of insight. Uh, before that, obviously, uh, I, uh, I had perceived the way uh, Lacan was following and the different changes he was introducing step by step uh, in his teaching. And the main change uh, I have already captured was the, about the concept of unconscious. Hmm? Uh, the fact that unconscious is real according to Lacan, and not symbolic. And it is a big, uh, big conceptual change. Real unconscious means without meaning, outside meaning. I had already developed it in different lectures and articles, but what uh, I had not understood at that moment in a sufficient way was the clinical and practical consequences of the conceptual change. And uh, when I uh, read the preface, I immediately perceive, first, that Lacan was putting an end point to his dialogue with Freud. Because all, all lifelong uh, Lacan was in dialogue, explicit or implicit, with Freud. And here he was putting an end point, it's uh, like that you said, and specifically concerning the famous question of the end of analysis. Hmm? Uh, and he was also in this text formulating another conception 
of what he calls the path in the analysis. The path and another orientation for uh, analytical practice and uh, analytical act. At, the, at that moment, for me, it was just an inside, uh, an intuition. Mm-hmm. But I would uh, have been unable to develop it. But with time, <laughs> uh, I managed to to make it. And after this moment of inside, I attempted to persuade my colleagues in France. It was not easy. <laughs> I can, I, uh, I can say it was not so easy. But, uh, but uh, at the end, I managed to open a, de- a debate, and even uh, we dedicated in Paris a full years of seminar uh, on one sentence of on this preface. So I was glad with it. Now a word to summarize the change concerning the concept of unconscious, if I can, I have time to do it. The first thesis of Lacan is well known. Uh, 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 This thesis uh, uh, has been developed during more or less 10 years. And, and it was about the symbolic unconscious. Symbolic unconscious structured like a language, a language because it is deciphered in the Freudian practice hmm, as a signifying chain producing meaning via metaphor and metonymy and specifically the big meaning of desire. So uh, it was an unconscious that represents the subject as a desiring being. And uh, when we say desire, obviously we imply also drives, uh, but never mind. And Lacan, uh, in what uh, he he called his graph of desire, has... Attempted to 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 give a schema, a schema, schema schema of this unconscious. The second thesis uh, uh, puts that puts that unconscious language, because for Lacan, from the beginning to the end, unconscious is language, but he puts that unconscious language is real not symbolic, which means without meaning. And it's something uh, striking because psychoanalysis operates with meaning. So it's uh, it's a conceptual difficulty. I said uh, that real means without meaning. It is true, but the main point is another one. Unconscious, real unconscious, is not a signifying chain, which signifies desire. Unconscious is just made with a signifier uh, extracted from la langue, Lacan wrote it in one word, as you know, signifiers which affect 
not the subject itself, but his body. His body and specifically uh, his jouissance. Please, uh, subject. You said is or its. When the subject is subject. It depends. You can say its to ah. be more rigorous. Ah. It's probably. It's, it's better. So, okay. <laughs> Thank you. So, uh, unconscious signifiers uh, which affect is its jouissance. So, Lacan could say in 1969 that unconscious is without subject. Without subject, uh, that means that unconscious doesn't determine the subject, but is its way of enjoying. In regard uh, uh, with uh, the Freudian unconscious as a chain, this. Um, uh, no, on the contrary. The Freudian unconscious we deciphered as a chain in regard with this real unconscious is just lucubration. On dit, mm-hmm. et lucubration. Yeah. Lucubration and always hypothetical, said Lacan in seminar encore. So, uh, uh, we can perceive that with this real unconscious, Lacan underlines another function of language. Language has different function. Uh, it has a, f- a function at the level of meaning, producing meaning, obviously, uh, but it has also an effect at the real level. Language is the apparatus, apparatus of jouissance, apparatus of jouissance, and jouissance itself has no meaning, <laughs> it's something real. Uh, you can read in Encore the following sentence written by Lacan, he says, the is the mystery of the spoken body, the mystery of the unconscious. Uh, it's too, too, perhaps I could no, no, cut. No, 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 It's okay? Yeah. Okay. Here, parenthesis. <clears throat> One of my chapters in the book is entitled The Two Unconscious. I receive a lot of protestation from <laughs> some colleagues. <laughs> And uh, for me, it was uh, first a surprise, but also it was a bit funny, uh, because it is just an epistemological problem. Uh, When you say, for example, the unconscious is structured like a language, you don't think that it is another unconscious than the unconscious discovered by Freud. You think it's the same unconscious, but another way of conceptualization. Mm. And uh, the same in this case. There are just one unconscious. And when I 
title The Two Unconscious is just to underline the two way, possible way to conceptualize it. In the, the first step, it was the chain, signifying chain who was perceived, constructed, and another step after, if Lacan perceived another uh, aspect of the problem. So, uh, it was not a true objection. Uh, now, what is at stake in this book, for me, at least, for the reader, I don't know, but for me, what was at stake? Uh, obviously, the analytical consequences. I made the effort of developing the conceptual aspect, but it was to go towards the analytical and clinical consequences. And I tried in the book, developed uh, uh, clinical levels about symptoms, about jouissance, about the value of truth, of the truth, uh, about the direction of the treatment and the function of the affects. I wrote the second book about it. The main point concerns the possible end of analysis. The Freudian unconscious, uh, how do you say l'impasse de la fin? The, um, the stumbling block. Stumbling block. Yeah. Stumbling block. Uh, <laughs> the Freudian unconscious is linked with the stumbling block. Uh, linked with the analysis without end, except uh, to stop to see the analyst. <laughs> it's a term. <laughs> um, the Freudian unconscious is linked with a stumbling block. Why? Because at the level of deciphering the signifier, and interpreting the meaning, there is no structural principle of end. It's, on, it's a process you can continue without end to decipher and to look for meaning and to find meaning. And uh, so, uh, in this dispositive and Freud, Il est tombé sur ce problème. Si je, euh, il faut in this problem. The analysant in this case is trapped in a process in which is running toward his own truth, toward uh, the, his own truth, truth, which is uh, just half said, never. <laughs> completely said, said, and without end. And with time, it becomes, in analysis, a true experience of castration. Hmm? Uh, very early, Lacan has thought that a real was necessary to put an end to the question of truth. 
He has explored different way, ways with time. The preface is the last one uh, in his teaching about it. Uh, he describes an end by the fall of meaning, by uh, the end of the mirage, mirage, on dit le mirage, mirage. De, the mirage, the mirage of truth. Uh, and there is a very strong formula in the preface. I commented a lot. He said the real is antinomic to any vraisemblance. Vraisemblance. Um, how would one translate that best in English? Verisimilitude. Yeah. Verisimilitude exists. Ah, yeah. it, okay. It, it, it exists. Uh, to any uh, verisimilitude. Uh, the real is uh, speaking about because there is no one real. The real <laughs> is not uh, one. The real is speaking about here designate, I think, uh, all uh, the the real of all the the formation of unconscious and specifically of symptom. The real of symptom as a modality of jouissance uh, without meaning, which makes the unconscious real, says Lacan. Uh, the symptom nucleus in any subject, the nucleus, huh? not the envelope, but the nucleus of the symptom is generally fixated early in life. Uh, for example, uh, what we call les traits de perversion. Perverse traits, traits of perversion. Perverse traits are fixated early in life. Hmm? And uh, fixated according to the accident of life, the encounter, in a contingent way, not a necessary way, contingent way, and it remains the same all, all life long. It has nothing to do with the truth of the subject. Completely different things. The truth of the subject, when we speak about the truth of a subject, we are speaking of uh, uh, its story, uh, I can say uh, it's novel, as Freud has said, huh? the neurotic novel. Uh, that is to say, his relationship with uh, the other, with a capital, uh, uh, and with the others, without capital. So, more or less, uh, all the, what remains from uh, uh, his uh, childhood, with a traumatic relative. On dit parent traumatique, traumatic relative, le parent traumatique. Yeah. Relative, what? Okay. Parent? No. Traumatic parent? What, what do you mean by that? The, uh, the actual, les parents? Non, non, c'est pas les parents, c'est le parent, singular. The traumatic parent. The traumatic parent. It's an expression Lacan uses 
Uh, and he doesn't say parents in plural. He doesn't say father or mother. He says parents. And I think it is to designate the fact that uh, uh, the person uh, who is in uh, the position of being a parent is necessarily traumatic, mm -hmm. not in a contingent way. Mm -hmm. And it was a Freudian idea also. Uh, well, we can speak about it if we want. So I was saying that the truth, when we speak about truth, we speak about all this, about the relation in the childhood with a traumatic uh, parent. And so how could we imagine despite the fact that we had imagined. <laughs> How could we imagine that uh, we can cure the real of the symptom with the truth of the subject? The truth is symbolic. The real is not symbolic, it's the real. And, comment j'ai dit, étranger, alien to any verisimilitude, Mm -hmm. And I think that the analyst must know what is it is possible to change and what is not possible to change uh, for a subject. If not, what uh, can happen in analysis? In analysis, we know it was known before Lacan. We can uh, read... Uh, uh, not only Melanie Klein, but uh, other analysts, uh, after the first therapeutic effect produced by the analysis, analysis uh, uh, the analysand experiences uh, the inertia of the nucleus of his own symptom of his own election of enjoyment and also the perpetuation of what Freud uh, called repetition, repetition. So when this happens in an analysis, what the analyst will do if he has not a right idea of what is possible and not possible. Either, either, he will conclude that it is better to stop with resignation. <laughs> either he will continue to push uh, the analysis toward a supplementary effort towards the truth. But it is, it will be an effort without hope for the analysis. And in both cases, the analyst will fail and won't be able to permit the analysis to go toward a satisfactory conclusion. So, uh, a last word about the satisfactory possible conclusion. From the beginning of his teaching, <laughs> Lacan um, 
and before any demonstration, Lacan always has a state and against Freud that the end of analysis was and must be a satisfactory one from a, a function and, and field of uh, speech and language the thesis is present and until the end but uh, it is just with time that I think that he managed to demonstrate it huh? and uh, uh, on this point of a satisfactory conclusion, there is in Lacan, from Seminar encore until the preface, and specifically in the preface, there is something completely new about the satisfactory conclusion. Uh, because uh, uh, Lacan has uh, started in uh, the year 72 to show a new function of the affects. Before, at the beginning, he was like Freud. He was emphasizing that the affects are not a compass for interpretation because they are displaced. And so uh, it was just the signifier and the deciphering who was uh, important. Uh, but uh, he, from the year uh, 60, 65 more or less, he started to underline another uh, aspect of the affect. First with the anguish. The anguish the affect who doesn't de- uh, which doesn't deceive. So, an affect which reveals first, uh, f- first time in the teaching of Lacan. After, he has uh, underlined a love, <laughs> a love who, which reveals something the signifier doesn't reveal. And thirdly, in the preface, a satisfaction, that is to say, an affect, which reveals that a conclusion has been, is present. So it's a, an inversion. The first thesis, uh, Lacan was looking for conclusion possible to articulate it in, in, with words. And in the preface, when he speaks about a satisfactory conclusion, is not a, a, an articulated conclusion. It is a change of affect, uh, which uh, reveals that the subject has perceived something uh, about uh, this uh, alternative, this fight between truth and sim- real symptom. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, uh, it's a big change in, uh, uh, necessary to think about, I think. Well, I'm, go- I'm going to stop. <laughs> uh, I hope I, I had managed to, 
to give you an idea of what was at stake, at least in my book. <laughs> Thank you, Colette. So I have um, a lot of questions about the, the book and the different ideas in it, but perhaps let's start with one of the most basic ideas. <laughs> one of the sections in the book that Colette has evoked already is called The Two Unconsciouses. And as you pointed out, that had obviously led to some misunderstanding when, in a way similar to the Kantian distinction between phenomenal and noumenal object, it's not two objects, it's two conceptualizations of the same yeah. object. If we have the, let's say, the more traditional view of the unconscious as sets of signifiers which are organized around meaning and around fantasy, which is obviously mm. something not just specific to Lacanian mm. analysis, but also in Kleinian analysis, the importance of meaning Mm, and fantasy, yes. and then the real unconscious, which consists of elements which don't generate meaning, mm, which mm, are outside mm. the chain, and so on. A first very, very basic question would be, can you say something about how the real unconscious is constituted, how it comes into being? Yes, yes. Immediately? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> no. <laughs> I was asking uh, if you wanted to put another one. Uh, so <laughs> so uh, uh, the, the first uh, there is a part of the book uh, who, to to develop uh, to develop this. Huh? Of, uh, how can I take the question? Well, in the free association, that is to say in the specific speech in analysis, uh, the subject is uh, speaking with words. Is uh, the words of the common language and uh, his own, uh, its own uh, words. But uh, the deciphering Freud invented, not Lacan, Freud, the deciphering consists in this uh, speak, uh, speech that fabric, uh, that made, makes messages. Huh? The analysant is making messages, speaking. So, uh, the deciphering in the Freudian practice consists in extracting in the speech of the analysant some signifiers, word or morceau de phrase, fragments of fragment words, of words of, or sentences uh, blocked in uh, as one sentences uh, uh, which uh, doesn't change. And so uh, the signifiers of the real unconscious are present, necessary, in the speech of the analysant. Well, first point. So you ask, uh, from where <laughs> they are <laughs> coming? Uh, uh, the, the thesis uh, uh, developed by Lacan with uh, a lot uh, big probability 
is uh, that uh, the first uh, specific signifiers for any subject are coming from the first years of life. And why we can think this? It is uh, because when we we try uh, to interpret symptom, uh, we we obtain an effect just uh, if we uh, connect it with childhood. It's uh, something established by the Freudian uh, practice. And so the hypothesis is that the first signif euh, c'est pas signifying que je veux dire les les premiers euh, signifiants déterminants the first determining signifiers the first determining signifiers for an analysand unknown signifiers for him he doesn't know these signifiers they are unconscious in the adjective meaning of unconscious bon are coming from the first years of life and are constituted uh, from the la langue of the parents, the, the la langue, the little subject received, listened to, uh, start to, to repeat, to grasp, to articulate himself, and uh, uh, the connection between this first world and the body. The idea is this. The language has an effect at the level of body. And uh, there is a text very uh, simple, enfin simple, <laughs> not so simple, but uh, not uh, the most difficult in Lacan. It is uh, the lecture he gives he gave in uh, uh, 75 in Genève called the le symptôme, the symptom, mm-hmm. in which uh, he attempted to to explain it, to explain from where the first signifiers are coming. So it's uh, the, just the the ideas that language. Is not just for communication, <laughs> uh, but uh, has a real effect. And this thesis is a very uh, Lacanian one. Freud has no idea of it. And according to Lacan, uh, the English uh, psychoanalyst of the epoch of Lacan. I don't mm-hmm. speak in, of the analyst now. Eh? Mm-hmm. He was speaking of his uh, contemporary uh, <laughs> Melanie Klein, Winnicott, Balint. There is a little text in which uh, Lacan uh, dare call them philosophers. Mm-hmm. He says, I call them philosophers because they can't understand that language as real effect. <laughs> so, uh, this idea is, is the, 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 the own text, thesis of Lacan. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the real effect. After, we can uh, 
obviously uh, in the clinical of child of children, little children, in the way little children uh, learn language. Uh, if we see, for example, the effect of bilinguism mm -hmm. uh, on the subject, uh, well, uh, and we have an example in Freud, because, you know, if the thesis of Lacan is true, we can uh, uh, illustrate it with any example of any symptom. Uh, if not, uh, or perhaps not any symptom, but any significative symptom. And for example, we have a, a good example in Freud about uh, threat of perversion uh, with this subject uh, who has two languages in his childhood, German and uh, English. And uh, in uh, his uh, adult life, he has a specificity, his um, sexual desire toward a woman, you know the example, was possible just if the woman has, I don't know, a, a shining on the nose. Strange, huh? Shining on the nose and Freud. <laughs> with this technique of deciphering, uh, uh, discovers, mm. discovered uh, that uh, it was coming from the bilinguism mm -hmm. because uh, in uh, the word glance, regard sur le nez, uh, look, look. Glan glance in German. Glan glance, glance. Glance on the nose and glance with a Z uh, means uh, shining, Shine. shining, and so with uh, play with word, uh, <laughs> a, a threat of perversion was constituted. We 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 continue all his life, adult life, <coughs> and it has nothing to do with a relationship with a mother, father, uh, truth, uh, and so on. Huh? So, uh, something surreal, without meaning, just the word the playing. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, uh, why? Bon. <laughs> and there's something, another question I wanted to ask linked to that, that in this example you have a, a word play which generates a trait, mm. a perverse trait in that subject. It seems to be disconnected from object relations in the classical sense. Mm. It seems to be disconnected from the mm. other chain of signifiers. Mm. And you say um, very um, intriguingly in the book, if I can, um, there's a sentence that made me want to, to try and understand more. Um, you're talking about the difference between the unconscious conceived symbolically and the mm. unconscious mm. as real. You say it's not at the level of exchange, it's rather autistic. Mm. 
But, you say, not always, pas toujours rebelle à la perception d'obscure affinité. Yes. What does that mean? Because that seems to open up the whole question that yeah, this yeah. real unconscious can actually make a link or have some kind of articulation to other elements. Yes, uh, it's, uh, I have the idea that uh, perhaps my idea comes from, uh, uh, I don't know from where it came, but uh, uh, in the meeting with uh, another people, uh, we have a lot of, uh, uh, I, I don't know how to call it, intuition, first perception, mm-hmm. uh, we perceive uh, affinity, uh, strangeness, mm-hmm. we have a lot of feeling, not explicited feeling, but present, huh? mm-hmm. so in the common experience. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, we can uh, suppose that uh, we can uh, apply at this level what Lacan says about uh, love at the end of seminar encore, when he says that uh, love uh, comes from an obscure perception of the link of the partner with uh, the the destiny of Freudian of uh, speaking being that is to say the way everyone reacts uh, to the with the destiny we can use this word is the unconscious made uh, makes to the speaking being and there is a perception of it and so uh, it's true that uh, like I say, la portée des mots. The weight of words. The weight. The weight of words. The weight. Ah oui, le poids. Oui, très bien. Uh, the weight. <laughs> the the weight of words is not the same from any any everyone. And like I say, that it's very necessary for the analyst to perceive the weight of the word of the analysant, which is not the same for everyone. And at this level of the weight uh, of the world, that is to say also the enjoyment of world, huh? uh, big difference and no communication. Everyone is own weight, his own enjoyment. Nevertheless, nevertheless, it seems to me that uh, uh, we are not uh, everyone completely closed, <laughs> uh, and uh, there are affinities, uh, antipathies also, but affinities uh, we, which are uh, perceptible. Uh, it doesn't make a dialogue because it's not something uh, we we can explicit. Why uh, this one uh, you? You, you think immediately that uh, is someone uh, you agree with mm-hmm. or not. You don't know. We don't know. Mm-hmm. But we experience it. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, <laughs> and do those perceived affinities have a use in analytic practice? The affinities? Uh, no. No. <laughs> no. 
I don't think so. <laughs> Perhaps the contrary. Perhaps the contrary, because... Uh, uh, no, no, because the affinity uh, make you more sleepy. <laughs> uh, when uh, a feeling of uh, not affinity... Uh, comment dit plutôt étrangeté strangeness strangeness mm. uh, is not an inconvenient in the analytical practice mm. on the contrary mm. because the affinity push you towards meaning yep. toward underst- believe toward believing you understand yep. huh? and so it's better not to understand to decipher mm. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what kind of consequences might the theory of real unconscious have for practice? It's a big question. Uh, first, <laughs> to the analyst, uh, I think, must know that with truth we can cure the real. That is to say that Uh, what I call, what I can call, nucleus, real nucleus of symptom is not something we can move with speech. Perhaps we can touch it with uh, just uh, the equivocity of signifiers. Uh, It is why Lacan says that uh, the interpretation uh, would be poetic or not be. At the end, he says it. Uh, It is because he was looking for an interpretation uh, which doesn't go uh, through meaning, Mm -hmm. just uh, uh, through the manipulation of signifiers, the sonority, even sonority of signifiers, Mm -hmm. resonance, comment dire en anglais? Resonance. Resonance. Resonance Mm -hmm. of, uh, of signifiers. Uh, so uh, it's uh, very important, very important, uh, because if not, uh, and we, we see it uh, in reality, we see it in reality, the moment in which uh, an analysis with years, because now the analysis are more... <laughs> Uh, longer. Uh, more longer than there was in the time of Freud, huh? it's sure. Uh, when the, the first uh, benefits, uh, the first uh, be- benefit, uh, the subject is better, he has a, a range more or less, uh, or, or, or his relationship uh, with uh, relative, others, friend, uh, mm-hmm. sister, whatever. Etc. Etc. Things uh, are better. Well, first the therapeutic effect. After what we what uh, what uh, we do in analysis. After <coughs> hmm? and this this uh, turn, this moment in which we enter in the last phase of analysis, was uh, well perceived by Balint before Lacan. Mm-hmm. Hein? Balint, you know Balint, uh, uh, saying that uh, there is a moment in which uh, what we can obtain uh, by uh, speaking and interpreting is finished. But the analysis is not finished. Mm-hmm. 
there is a moment after. And all the problem uh, of an, uh, end of analysis is what is happening in this period and how it stopped uh, at the end. Mm-hmm. And I think the preface answers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Can you say in what way? Uh, in what way is Lacan? Uh, yes, in what way? In a, in the way in a way in which uh, the the analysant starts uh, to perceive that uh, more or less he has articulated what he can articulate. Mm-hmm. Bon. And so he try again. Sometimes he, he managed to grasp uh, another thing. He is glad. But with truth, you know how things happen. Uh, you are glad, but the day after, what you have grabs is has become something uh, uh, who go toward another discovery. And so, again, again, uh, uh, where is uh, the end of the process? Bon. Uh, so, uh, you say the truth, but the truth lies. The truth doesn't say the real. Mm-hmm. But there are another moment in which, and this point is very important to, in the text, Lacan says uh, when, in the process of analysis, uh, there is no more weight of the meaning mm-hmm. about uh, either a lapsus, either a symptom, mm-hmm. moment in which the subject perceives that here there is no more meaning. Mm-hmm. He says, uh, il le dit en français, mais mm-hmm. en, en anglais, je ne mm-hmm. sais pas, et c'est pas, pas bien traduit en plus, je crois. Uh, on est, dans ce cas, je, le... I said it in French, and after Darian perhaps will, <laughs> will help. He says, dans ce cas, on est, il emploie le on, on est dans le réel, on le sait soi. Can you one t- is in the real, one knows it soi, oneself? Oneself, mm-hmm. which means he is the only one who knows it, who perceives it. Mm. So uh, he, he has the idea that there is an experience, an experience, a punctual, expi- expi- uh, diverse, one, two, three, but punctual experience of real outside meaning. And is there also the idea, on le sait soi, that one knows it, as oneself, to be oneself? No, 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 not to be oneself. Uh, <coughs> et, et on le sait soi, ça veut dire uh, pas personne d'autre ne le sait. Okay. No, no c'est one pas, else. C'est ça le soi. Oui, non. oui. On le sait virgule soi. D'accord. Hein? Uh, in English, uh, oneself knows, virgule on peut mettre. One knows it oneself, we can use the comma. Oui, oui. Bon. <laughs> uh, uh, which means no dialogue. Mm. 
possible here. And uh, it is uh, in the school in which uh, there is uh, the dispositive of the pass, uh, we touch it. Uh, because sometimes uh, uh, we have a, a subject who explain how in this moment, uh, in this context, they, uh, they think, they perceive, they experience to be in something real. And for the subject who speaks, it is very uh, convaincant. Convincing. Convincing, out uh, of any doubt. But the others who are listening, <laughs> generally, <laughs> politely, they <laughs> don't say, perhaps, but they, are, uh, they have a, a strange feeling because they don't perceive. Yeah. And the, on this is what? It's a, a moment of potential satisfaction or disappointment, sadness? No, satisfaction. Satisfaction. Why? No, Lacan, Lacan uh, says that. So the last phases of analysis, if an alternance between uh, an effort, more effort toward truth with a deceptive uh, feeling, disappointing yeah. feeling, perception of real, mm -hmm. but uh, without uh, communication. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So both sides are deceiving. Because both sides are deceiving. Both sides yeah. are deceiving. And it, the idea is that repeating the alternance, okay. repeating mm -hmm. the alternance, mm -hmm. uh, there is, uh, um, with time, huh? With time, not mm. just one, but with time repeating the, the alternance, sometimes there is a production of a satisfaction. Mm -hmm. Satisfaction, because we can understand why, because it's uh, an epistemical experience, mm. uh, which permit to put mm. uh, in balance truth yeah. and real. It's levi Strassian. Hein? Lévi hein? Peut-être. Mais Lévi-Strauss n'avait aucune idée de l'analyse. Et si nous avec la question de l'analytique pratique, donc la satisfaction à la fin, et aussi il y a une partie très intéressante du livre où vous parlez de la fonction du désir de l'analyste et du fait que l'analyste doit mettre ce que vous appelez leur propre personnel équation out of the picture yeah. in, in the work. Yeah. And you also say this is something that never happens 100%. Never happened? 100%, 100%. Ah, 100%. And you suggest that there, there may be an interest in studying the, I think you say, les effets de retour, the, the return mm. effects oui. of the personal equation that's left out. Mm. Je suis pas sûr que j'ai compris votre dernière phrase. Les effets de retour de... Um, de, de ce qui est bon, exclu, ah oui, 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 oui. Ça, uh, it was an interesting idea of Ferenczi. Mm -hmm. uh, the first one, Ferenczi, uh, is, uh, is perceived because he was uh, uh, not analyzed enough, mm. without doubt. Uh, oh, it's not uh, an interpretation with uh, 
some months of analysis, you are not... Uh, uh, so, uh, he, uh, he perceived it that uh, the analyst all day long uh, needs to put himself into parentheses. It is not him who is at stake. It is the analysis. So, and... Uh, He, he asked himself uh, how someone can bear it with time. Uh, and so it's a question of uh, uh, to know if it is, uh, est-ce que c'est une épreuve, if it is a, a trial, a trial, an ordeal, uh, an ordeal, an ordeal, an ordeal uh, not to be at stake. Uh, in the, the, as a person, eh? not to be at stake, as a person uh, for a subject uh, analysis, not an ordeal. It's on the contrary, the condition of the practice. Because it's, uh, it's uh, easily understand, uh, understandable. If you don't put, you are not, I call it between parentheses, is In brackets. Is uh, into in brackets. Mm. It's uh, not a precise expression, but uh, it's uh, to signify that uh, the analyst can't identify himself what he is li uh, with what he's listening to from his analysis. Mm. Not identify himself with the text and with the feeling and with the suffering of the analysant. If not, in this case, it would be an ordeal. <laughs> Because, but, uh, so, uh, uh, bon, uh, it's a point with discussion yeah. in, the, well, in the background yeah. of uh, psychoanalysis. Yeah. Huh? Uh, My, my position is that, uh, is that uh, it's a, a condition. And when Lacan uh, introduces, uh, not when he introduces, but with the notion of the desire of the analyst, which is not the desire of any, every analyst, hein? mm -hmm. a, a general function. And when he's speaks about the analytical act, it's always the same direction uh, to, de to designate the position or the capacity, perhaps, uh, of the, the analyzed uh, people uh, to, to take this position. And given that, that, that function and the bracketing, why would anyone want to do it? What? Why? Why would anyone want to do it? And there's, a, there's a lovely chapter in the book where Colette talks about a sort of work without any reward or recompense. And you say that um, if the analysis goes well and the analysand, is, their life is improving, they won't thank the analyst. But if it all collapses, <laughs> then they'll certainly blame him. <laughs> It's a problem. <laughs> It's a problem. I think uh, 
Yes, I think that the analytical act is an act without rewards. Uh, it's an expression I took from uh, some mystic <laughs> who speaks in France, Madame Lebrun, who speaks uh, about uh, her love for God of uh, love without rewards. She, she loves so much God that she was not expecting any rewards. And even if God was bad with her, she will... Uh, bon. So I, I grasp the expression, an act without rewards, because, and it is true, uh, because if an analysis doesn't work, doesn't work, the analyst uh, bears a, a part of responsibility. It's not a reward. Huh? If the analysis goes well, function well, the analysand goes towards the end, and the benefit is for the analyst. The analysand, not for the analyst. Where is the reward? And if you, if you uh, look at the, the history of psychoanalysis, who are Uh, the name w uh, which remains in the memory, not the name of the analyst, the names of the, the analyst who has written book, books like me today. <laughs> because because uh, uh, the others, the analyst who dedicate, who just dedicate their life to analyze others are unknown. Unknown. And so uh, we can think that uh, analysis is an activity which uh, permits uh, anyone se faire un escabeau, comme dit Lacan à la fin. You know. Oh, yes. <laughs> a term we had a lot of difficulty finding the right translation for. Literally a stepladder. A, a stepladder. To elevate oneself. Yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, Lacan, at the end, uh, speaks a lot about it, uh, uh, specifically when he was uh, writing about Joyce. Huh? And... Uh, He, he, he uses this little instrument, how do you say it? A stepladder. Stepladder, which permits to, to, to be a bit more... Uh, a bit taller, hein? to, to elevate oneself. Taller, to elevate oneself. Bon. That is to say, it is the instrument, a metaphor for an instrument of auto-promotion. And... And so, uh, I, uh, I think that analysis is not it for an analyst. Uh, it it, uh, alors, uh, after that, we can ask, as Lacan did, but why they want to be analyst? Mm, My first answer is that they don't know. <laughs> they don't know. When, when, uh, it's true, it's true. When, someone start to uh, exercise, to practice, to practice mm -hmm. at the beginning, 
He doesn't know what he knows, uh, what he, he will know uh, 30 years after. 30 years? <laughs> yes, <Wow>. he think, uh, <laughs> if, uh, if he doesn't understand quickly. <laughs> no, it's true, it's true. <laughs> uh, because, because, why, why? Uh, not it's funny, but uh, there is a structural reason, and it is that uh, when you start in the practice, you are uh, invested by transference, subject supposed to know, put in a position of idealization. So it's not so disagreeable, it's not so diff- uh, uh, on the contrary. Uh, on the contrary. And so it is uh, with uh, the time of analysis that uh, the analyst perceives that uh, subjects supposed to know, idealized subjects supposed to know at the beginning, and at the end, nothing. Just the one who has permitted the, the process and uh, uh, who must be forgotten. So, without rewards. And we can understand why it is necessary to be paid with it. If not, it would be impossible. Impossible. (laughs) Which brings us nicely to the question of psychoanalysis in neoliberal societies and psychoanalysis in capitalism. And one of the, um, the most refreshing and thought provoking parts of the book is um, the, the section on this where Colette challenges the, the received opposition between psychoanalysis and capitalism and, and Colette, you point out that when psychoanalysts say you know we reject the capitalist discourse we see subjects one by one mm-hmm. in fact there's not an antinomy there with capitalism which often adopts the same surface ethics the, mm. the one by one, the mm. particularity mm. we want to listen to what you've got to say, to mm. hear you mm. you talk about the, the culture of, of empty speech yeah, yeah, yeah I don't know what to say uh, it seems to me that uh, uh, Sometimes there is a. Uh, we use the formula without uh, thinking enough. Uh, because Lacan has said uh, uh, the discourse of the master is the reverse of uh, the discourse of psychoanalysis, or psychoanalysis reverse of the discourse mm-hmm. of the master. Uh, we speak uh, psychoanalysis reverse of uh, discourse of capitalism. Mm-hmm. But discourse of capitalism is not the discourse of the master. Is Even uh, according to Lacan, is not a discourse at all. Mm-hmm. It doesn't uh, constitute... Because uh, what Lacan calls discourse is a social link. And a social link... Uh, which is always constituted by two terms. Hmm? Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, in the discourse of the master, the master and the slave, mm-hmm. in the discourse of uh, universities, the uh, professor and the mm-hmm. student, 
hysteria and master, analyst and analyzer. All these uh, four discourses are constitu constitute a couples. Couples? Yeah, a couples. And in these couples, be careful, there is no parity. No, no equality. There, there is a terms with command to the other. Uh, in the, in the capitalism, it is not like that. Uh, in capitalism, when Lacan attempted to write uh, a schema of capitalism, uh, he wrote uh, the, uh, something in which there are not, the places are not present. And uh, so every term is linked in a circle with the other. And uh, as I put it, there is no linked Uh, constructed by capitalism, except one, the link between the subject and the object of consumer. Mm -hmm. Consumer. Consumer object. Consumer object. Mm -hmm. And so it is uh, equivalent, equivalent. equivalent mm -hmm. to the formula of fantasm. Mm -hmm. Exactly the same writing. Mm -hmm. huh? mm -hmm. uh, any subject is linked with a little... Uh, Object A, uh, uh, plus of enjoying, plus de jouir, uh, uh, plus de jouir, one by one, and capitalisms uh, make it uh, at the le collective level of, uh, of uh, all society. So it is not an opposition, it is uh, not an affinity, <laughs> but uh, it is uh, something... Uh, Homologous, homologous. And the subjects who arrive for analysis, as you say, permeated by capitalist values? Yes, uh, uh, there is a big debate, uh, in France at least, I don't know here, but uh, uh, some, uh, some Lacanian, in the Lacanian world, mm -hmm. some Lacanian uh, has developed a big... Uh, a big uh, thesis that uh, the subject in capitalist uh, society were not uh, analyzable anymore because mm -hmm. there were uh, change uh, by capitalism. They were they was no more desire, just jouissance. Uh, bon, I summarize <laughs> de, de manière grossière. <laughs> Comment on dit de manière grossière <laughs> Schematically. Uh, bon. All of this, uh, for me, are <laughs> indéfendables. <laughs> And how, how would you explain, discourage, um, what you call, in the book, I mean, the, You've got to read the book, but at the end of the book, I'm not giving anything away, Colette has a, a, a chapter on the extraordinary apathy of analysts, that people in the analytic world tend to always assume other people will act for them. Bon. Comment vous avez dit, quel mot vous avez dit Apathy. Apathy. 
is not, uh, I don't know if I use the word, but uh, is not so much apathy. It is, uh, uh, it is, uh, they have not the right position. Uh, because uh, the analyst, uh, at least in France, I, I speak, uh, uh, they are very active. Very active to speak in the media, to be present at the radio, to be uh, to to write book. Everyone write a book now, uh, and so they are not apathetic in the meaning of doing nothing. Uh, but uh, they are not uh, active, in my uh, uh, view, to sustain the analytical discourse. And um, if you think at Freud and Lacan, for example, I let Melanie Klein and the other, they are not alone, but Freud and Lacan, you can imagine what was the forces against, against the reception of psychoanalysis when Freud invented it, and Lacan, when he, he attempted to, to move Uh, the practice. Uh, so uh, they were fighters, but not fighters to make uh, known their, their person. They, they, they were fighters to sustain the, the analytical discourse, and they paid a lot uh, to it. Bon. So uh, now I'm a very... Uh, preoccupied mm. uh, by uh, the fact that uh, the analysts now are no more subversive. They attempt on the contrary, and Lacan has already denounced it uh, against the psychologist mm. and the psychiatric uh, of, the ep of uh, his epoch. Uh, they are no more subversive. They, they try uh, to make themselves accepted. Yeah, so, if you work to make uh, yourself accepted, just to make yourself accepted, uh, you 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 enter in the enterprise. Uh, you are denouncing. So, so uh, it's true that it's very preoccupying, and when. Uh, the famous question of the future of psychoanalysis uh, is uh, arised, uh, I don't doubt that if psychoanalysis uh, would stop, it is not impossible. It is a discourse uh, which appears more or less uh, a century ago, more, uh, more, but... So he could disappear. He has appeared, he could disappear. But the main, the main responsible uh, would be the psychoanalyst. For me, it's uh, subjective evidence. <laughs> What do you think is going to happen? Eh? What do you think is going to happen? No. No, I'm not sure, <laughs> at least. Sure. No, 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 because... Uh, <laughs> Uh, because the, uh, the analyst has a big responsibility at the, at the level of collective discourse. Mm -hmm. But at the level of the practice, I think uh, that uh, uh, capitalism 
makes a, always more and more subject suffering uh, from loneliness, precarity, mm -hmm. uh, uh, links, links uh, uh, menacés, broken, broken. Uh, that uh, I think the demand for analysis, uh, uh, the demand for uh, help mm -hmm. won't, won't stop. So, but it depends on the analyst to make this demand of help to turn toward a possible uh, analysis. Uh, that is to say, uh, not just a demand to be better, but a demand to know something about uh, the, the, la source, the, the, source. Yeah. the source of suffering. Because uh, the source of suffering in the subject is always at least double. Something which comes from the state of the world. Mm -hmm. huh? it, and it was always like that. Some, and now it comes from capitalism. But there is also the other source, the unconscious. The unconscious. Huh? And so there is not uh, capitalism, bad effect of, on everyone. There is capitalism, uh, difficult effect, and not all the subjects react in the same way. And here we have the, the other causality on the side of unconscious. And it is in this point that analysis uh, can do something. And I think... Uh, uh, perhaps we can be a bit uh, optimist, uh, because uh, because uh, I can say also that the analyst has not a lot of things to do to make an analysis possible. Uh, uh, I want to explain it, but. <laughs> The first necessity is not to speak uh, or the question. Uh, is, uh, there is a lot of the activity of the analyst, which is an activity of uh, not be active, mm -hmm. of uh, uh, not speaking when it is the analysant who, who must speak. Mm -hmm not counseling, not uh, trying uh, to help, uh, etc. So there is a, a big part of the analytic activity which is abstention, uh, the right abstention, not indifferent abstention, obviously. So, so if uh, someone is trained enough to avoid uh, what makes the analysis impossible, That is to say, what uh, would block the questioning of questioning of unconscious uh, after it is the analyst who makes the work, who makes the works. It is not the analyst, huh? and so uh, we don't have reason to think that the subject of 21 century won't be less. Uh, 
susceptible of interrogating uh, unconscious than <laughs> the previous one. Shall we pause on that hopeful note? Eh? On pause there. <laughs> oh, yeah. um, thank you for that. <laughs>